Father, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, we just praise you for the fresh, fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for each day that we can experience the miracle of transformation. And now, Lord, may our hearts be open to what your Spirit is saying to us personally. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this sermon called A Day in the Life of Pastor Anel. I get this a lot of times. People always ask me the question, what in the world does a pastor do? What in the world does a pastor do? I came up with this title Monday, but it wasn't until Thursday that I was able to actually record an entire day of what a pastor does. Each day is very different for me, but uh, on this particular Thursday, I felt like this would be a good time to just, um, you know, take a, a video footage, and some of it's grainy, some of it's not the best footage, but uh, you're going to learn a little bit about what a Thursday looks like in the life of Pastor Anel. I warn you, there's going to be some interesting parts to this video. And so, like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate what? Christ, right? So as far as I follow Christ, that's what you're supposed to imitate me in. Aside from that, you need to follow Jesus and him alone. Amen? All right, why don't we show this video? Maybe we can turn off the lights a little bit. Day in the life of Pastor Anel. I can't fast forward it. This is what the entire sermon is about. (laughs) So, okay, we'll just turn the lights on. Well, I stayed up till 1 a.m. making this video, but that's okay. God may have other plans in store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to share with you a little bit about my day. And the reason why is simply because of this fact. Every day that I get up, I have a very special prayer. And that prayer is to really commit that day to God to give up what I plan. Now, I may set certain things that I may do throughout the day, and I obviously do. But what I do is I submit every one of my plans to God, and I ask Him to lead and guide as He sees fit. In other words, I'm giving God permission that if there is something that he would rather do in the day, that he remove those other things, place them another day, and help me to do what is necessary at that very moment. And it's so awesome. When you commit your day to God each and every day, you'll begin to see more and more of the extraordinary in what just appears to be the ordinary. Is it working? Okay. All right. Well, anyways... As I was saying, and so this is wonderful because each and every day when you commit your life to God, you will see more and more of what he is doing. Wonderful thing is when you're following Jesus and you're close to the spirit of God, you begin to discern more and more what God is doing behind the scenes, behind the scenes. It's very remarkable one day when Jesus, when Jesus was actually... Right in John chapter 12, right before his crucifixion, he was about to go to the cross and he needed some encouragement. The Bible says that he prayed to God and he said, Father, glorify your name. And all of a sudden, a voice spoke from heaven. A voice spoke from heaven. Now, what is so remarkable is not just the voice, but the reactions to those vo- that voice. Somebody said, it sounds like an angel. Somebody else says, it thundered. And it's very remarkable that what took place, there was a variety of reactions to what God was trying to communicate. And those who were listening could discern what was taking place at that very moment. That's why the Bible says spiritual things are spiritually what? 
discerning. And what we're going to do in the Bible today is we're going to take a good look at the life of one individual who was close to the Spirit and could understand what God was up to. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. The wonderful thing about the book of Acts is that it's a continuation of Luke's gospel. And so when you're reading the book of Acts, you can just finish up the end of the gospel of Luke, and you can just slide in to find out what happens in part two. And the great thing about the book of Acts, it leaves it open-ended because God is still continuing the book of Acts. Can you say amen to that? The harvest has yet to take place in a complete sense. And so God is wanting us to remember what the early church did so that we may know how to model the end-time church. Amen? Amen. You know, what's also very interesting about the book of Acts is that when you read the book of Acts, church is never designated as an actual literal building. Are you guys listening to me? Like when they came, we say, hey, we're going to go to the church. They wouldn't say things like, well, where is the location of the church building? In the book of Acts, the church was that group of people that was very committed to Jesus. Amen? And as they were committed to Jesus, that became more and more what the church was really all about. It was not an actual building. Now today, unfortunately, what we have done is that we have said, hey, we're going to church. And for many people, that means, yes, that's the building. The church is the building, and we are people who go in and out of the church. But back then, if you were part of God's kingdom, you were the church. You couldn't go in and out of the church Sabbath morning. You were the church. And where you went, that's where the church went. In fact, when you read Romans chapter 16, it's so remarkable. Paul here is greeting all these people at the very end, and he says, greet Aquila and Priscilla... And the church that is in their home. In their home. Because he recognized that where they were, that's where their church was. Now God has set up a place for us to be able to worship Sabbath mornings. And it's easy to go on the other end of the spectrum and say, well, we don't need to go to church. And that's not what I'm saying either, ladies and gentlemen. But what I am saying is, even if this building was gone, the Seventh-day Adventist church would still exist. Amen? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a good look at the life of one individual who represented the church. We're going to the book of Acts, chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Chapter 8, starting with verse 26. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to who? Spoke to who? What was that name again? Now watch what the angel of the Lord tells him to do. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the what? South along the road which goes from, down from Jerusalem to where? Jerusalem to Gaza was about 48 miles. Now watch this extra caveat that's placed there. Go from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is what? This is what? Desert. Now don't forget this super powerful point, ladies and gentlemen. It's this. Where the angel was calling Philip to go was the what? The desert. In other words, he didn't tell him any other instruction. He just says, I just want you to go to this place. And Philip recognized, wait a minute, that's the desert. And what do you find in the desert? Nothing. Nothing. 
Now I'm going to add another extra point that's super powerful, and it's this. When you look at Philip's experience with Jesus, what was Philip's experience with Jesus? Was he one of the most powerful, shining disciples during the life of Christ? Was he the one that was always ready to do what Jesus said? There are two unusual encounters when it comes to Philip and Jesus. One day, Philip is there, and Jesus says, who's going to feed these people? And you know what Philip says? Hey, there's not enough bread to feed these people. Another time, Philip told Jesus, show us the Father and we will believe you. What does it indicate about Philip and the type of person he was? He needed to see before he what? Believed. Now I want you to look at another Philip. This guy is much different. God tells him, hey, I want you to walk several miles, several days, and I want you to go to this desert. And do you know what Philip does? He goes to that desert. What is the difference between Philip in the Gospels and Philip in the book of Acts? What made the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took somebody who had these natural inclinations to disbelieve God, these natural inclinations to really even hurt the heart of Christ. And what he did, God completely transformed him to a man who didn't even need to know what the rest of the instructions were. He said, I'll go because God has spoken to me. This is a converted Philip. And ladies and gentlemen, when you are praying for the Holy Spirit, you may be at a certain place where you are at and who you are, but if you continue to pray and operate with the Spirit, who you are later on is going to be a complete surprise. And just like Philip, this man who was a little bit fearful, this man who was always doubting the Word of God, now he is a much different man, composed, someone sensitive to the Spirit of God. And the Bible says, an angel spoke to him and go and says to him, go down to this place, it's a desert. Okay, so Philip's like, all right, I'm going to go down there. And watch what happens next. This is very remarkable. Okay, look what happens next. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of what? Verse 27, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship as he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading who? Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Let me ask you a question. When Philip got to that particular scene, what did he see? He saw what? He saw an Ethiopian eunuch. Now tell me really quickly all you can about this Ethiopian eunuch. Just raise your hand so I know who to call. And all you need to do is look at the Bible, and not me, and you'll be able to see more about this Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, Jan, how do you know that? Exactly. He was returning from Jerusalem. And what was in Jerusalem? The temple. He had come back from this place of worship. Okay, what else can you tell me about this Ethiopian eunuch? He had influence. Very good. Okay, yes? Same thing. Okay, what was his position? Okay, what kind of person would need to be a treasurer? Good at math, right? Somebody who was very detailed-oriented, right? Somebody who was very intelligent. Someone who was, uh, like you were saying, good at math. And so this individual had some unique characteristics. He had influence. He had wealth. He had possession. He worked for a great queen. That's all we understand about this Ethiopian eunuch. But we're missing one significant part. What did Philip see when he saw this eunuch? 
He was reading the Bible. Now, what was he reading when he was reading the Bible? He was reading about the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is very interesting. Here Philip is after traveling for all these miles. And can you imagine? Only once the angel spoke to him. And the angel said, go down to this place. And here Philip is traveling several miles. You know, it could be several days. He's getting there and he's thinking, I am just going to a desert. What in the world am I going to be doing in this desert? Can you imagine what that faith experience must have been like? And he gets to this place, and all of a sudden, it dawns on him why he is there. He is seeing an Ethiopian eunuch who's sitting on the back of his chariot. I always just imagine someone on the back of a Ford with their legs dangling, and they're just reading. You know, that's what I see when I look at this. It was a Ford chariot. That's what it was, right? And so he's watching this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's just there, and he's just in the zone. He's reading the scriptures, unaware of the environment around him. He's into the Bible, and all of a sudden, the Bible says, the Spirit spoke to who? Philip. And what were the words to Philip? What were the words? Go over there, evangelize him, baptize him, and make him an elder in the church. It says to overtake. Go overtake. Now, what's so interesting is Philip understood what this would mean. Now, all the other things would be very important. He understood that God brought him there for this individual. And when God says, hey, you need to overtake that chariot, Philip understood, I need to bring the gospel to him. And so here he is, just now praising God for the province, understanding why. He overtakes them. It almost sounds like he's just like outrunning this chariot or he's just racing there. I looked up the word overtake in Greek. You know what the word is? It essentially means keep company with. Make a friend. The Spirit told him, go make that guy your friend. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when's the last time you sense the Spirit of God speaking to you and go say, go be a friend to that person? That should be taking place every single day. And Philip recognizes this, and here he is. He goes there, and he's just there, and he hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud the Scriptures. And then all of a sudden, he says, what are you reading? Do you understand that? Let's see what the Bible says next takes place. We're going to the book of Acts. I place my Bible in multiple places, and then I end up putting it somewhere else. Okay, here we go. Next time, I'm just going to set five Bibles out that have been highlighted. Go to different state zones in the church. Okay. Go all the way. Let's go to verse 30. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the what? Prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? He was very cordial. He just walked up to him and said, hey, do you know what you're reading? I hear you reading out loud. Now watch what happens. And he said this, extremely important words. How can I, unless someone what? Guides me. And then Philip walked away because he knew that this Ethiopian eunuch was a Christian and he was reading his Bible. Is that what he did? See, we have this idea, and this is an extremely important idea to address, because a lot of people think just because someone is a Christian or somebody reads the Bible, they have the true understanding of who Jesus is. So we can just leave them alone. But this Ethiopian eunuch had all the characteristics of definitely somebody who was following God. But Philip recognized, wait a minute, I want to help him give him a greater understanding who Jesus is. And so what he does, he begins to minister to him. Look what the Bible says all the way in verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? 
Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached to Jesus to him. You know what Philip begins to do at that very moment? He begins to give him a Bible study. He gives him this Bible study. And as this Bible study is taking place, what is so powerful is that this man begins to become convicted of the great truths. All the puzzle pieces begin to come together. And all of a sudden, the Ethiopian is so touched by the Spirit of God and this revelation of who God really is, says, what hinders me to get baptized? And he gets baptized. Now, the reason I bring this up, ladies and gentlemen, is because God wants to give us a very similar experience. A very similar experience. There are people in this world who have a knowledge of Scripture, but that knowledge is very incomplete. And what God wants to do is provide the rest of scriptural understanding as far as possible at that moment to lead them another step closer to who he is. See, when you're sharing the Bible, it's not just, oh, well, I just want them to join the church. When you're sharing the Bible, what you are doing is that you are leading the people one step closer to Jesus. Amen? And that's when I look at my Bible study, I'm looking at a whole new way. My job in Bible study is to get this person to understand in a greater sense who Jesus is. And that's why these truths that we find in the Bible are super important. You know, when I was a first, uh, when I was a Hindu, I shared this at GYC. A lot of people would come to me and they would say, hey, Jesus died for you. And I would say, so what? Mahatma Gandhi took a bullet for me. Some people would say, Jesus died for you. And I said, so what? Martin Luther King Jr. took a bullet for me. And that's why I can even be in this country. But when I begin to learn all the beautiful truths found in Scripture about the law, the Sabbath, the state of the dead, the sanctuary, all of a sudden, the platform of the cross begin to rise to a whole new level I never understood before. It was not merely some godly man who was dying on some cross. All of a sudden, I begin to understand the realities that were involved in the second death. And the great powerful thing that took place that really spoke to my own heart. And I said, I love this Jesus. But prior to that, I never understood that. Much of the world knows that if you were to say to them, Jesus died on the cross for you, you know what they would say? I've heard that before. You know that, right? When we send out flyers and we put pictures of Jesus on them, do you know most people don't come to our meetings? You want to know why? Because they think they already know what Jesus is all about. I can get that at any other church. That's why the crazy-looking dinosaur beasts, they actually work. Because people are interested in prophecy. I had a very interesting encounter when I was actually flying from Oakland to Chicago. I was sitting next to this professional couple. She was a neurologist, and he was a software engineer. A software engineer. Okay? And as we were there, I was just thinking to myself, okay, God has called me to witness to these people. I believe it. He put me here. I had prayed earlier in that day, sent me next to people. And whenever I get on the plane, I really have to fight the urge to sleep. You know, I just want to sleep. And so I was there, and I was thinking to myself, okay, I need to witness. I said, God, help me to be a witness. And so as I attempted some awkward witnessing at that moment, I was like, hi, my name is... They're like, they stood up and they're like, sorry, we have to go to the bathroom right now, and they left. And I was like, strike one. I really thought that. I was like, I just messed up. So then I said, okay, I'll wait till they come back. 
waited about 30, 40 minutes. So I was there. And I just turned to them all of a sudden and I said, so where are you guys going? And they said, well, we're going to Chicago. And we began this conversation. Do you remember what God told Philip? Go keep company with him. Go be friends. So I said, okay. And so as I was talking with them, I said, uh, so, you know, they, they asked me the question. They said, well, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to this wonderful youth conference that's taking place in Florida. And they're like, that's so interesting. And then I begin to talk to them, and I discovered that they were of the Baha'i faith. You ever heard of the Baha'i faith? The Baha'i faith is similar to Unitarian, to, to, un, being a, a Unitarian, except that they, in all religions, accept all religions, and when you go to their temples, there's no idols there. You just walk into this building, and you just there. I actually toured that Lotus Temple when I was in India. It's very interesting. They accept all religions. However, uh, when you get there, you begin to discover there's a certain way that you can accept all religions. There's only one way to do that. And so while you're there, and so you just connect with these people and you see what's going on. She said she was of the similar faith. She said, I, was, I grew up Baha'i. My mom comes from the Baha'i faith. And then I said something to her. I said, that's interesting. I said, do you know where Baha'ism came from? And she's like, yes, I'm very familiar with it. And I said, so you're familiar that in the 1800s, people were studying a certain prophecy in the book of Daniel, the 2300-day prophecy. In fact, when you go to their website, they do all the calculations. They come exactly to 1844. But their conclusion is wrong. And so I said to her, I was like, so you're familiar what took place in the 1800s? And she said, yes. I said, you're familiar what took place in 1844, that Baba, the founder of the Baha'i faith, declared himself to be the Messiah. And she's like, yes, that is the foundation of our faith. And I said, do you know where that prophecy came from? And she said, well, there was Christians who were studying it out. But Jesus didn't come back. And then I said to her, but there was a different group of people who began to understand something else. And you know what she did? She said, who? And I said, Seventh-day Adventists. And then she said, well, what was the understanding? And you know what I began to do? With my hands, I began to do this Bible study adventure you know so here it was and I began to do this bible study about the sanctuary and she was just like I've never heard of this understanding and she was so blown away she wanted to know more she wanted to know more about the diet all these things and I was just so shocked and surprised that this woman who just appeared to be next to me and her husband right there and they seemed to be interested in the distinct distinctions of their faith Ladies and gentlemen, God is saying to you, go out into the world. There are people who are searching, people who are trying to understand. When this Ethiopian eunuch was there in this chariot, what was he studying? Isaiah what? Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53 about? What is it about? It's about the messianic prophecy. Do you know why God keeps prophecy vague sometimes? It's that it could be used as a way to bring people to the faith. As they are studying out the prophecy, it's like guidelines that begin to lead them a certain way. And so God makes other things very succinct, but he keeps prophecy in such a way where you have to study it out prayerfully. And like this Ethiopian eunuch, people are saying, wait a minute, how can I understand this unless somebody guides me? And that's very intentional by God. Because as people are studying out prophecy, what it's designed to do, it's designed to lead them to where the great collection of truths are found. 
And so as this man was doing it, Philip was able to guide him into the truth. And there are a lot of people in our world today who are wanting to know the rest of the story. It would surprise you that on Sunday, I actually talked with a pastor of a non-denominational church. And you know what he told me? Found out I was Seventh-day Adventist. He's like, I believe in the Sabbath too. He's like, in fact, I've been wanting to keep it with my church. And then he said, hey, if you guys ever have meetings, I'll go to those meetings too. And I was like, whoa, that is crazy. See, there are a lot of people who want to know the rest of the story. And as we share more and more, God's going to reveal more and more. Now, I'm going to bypass this video right now. It's kind of irrelevant at this moment. So if we can go to the next slide. Okay, we're going back. Okay, okay. Take a good look at Philip. Philip listened to the Spirit. Number two, he was kind and loving. Number three, he engaged the man in talk. Number four, he preached Jesus with the Bible. And number five, he did some follow-up. He made sure that man was baptized. And just following these simple principles, we would be surprised what God can do. When you take a good look at the life of Philip, he was somebody who doubted God. Now you see somebody who's listening to God. Later on in the book of Acts, he's now called Philip the Evangelist. And by the last time you hear about Philip, you know what the Bible says about him? He had seven daughters who were prophets. Seven daughters who were prophets. Think about where Philip was. And what the Holy Spirit was leading this man who was sensitive to the Spirit of God to eventually be He eventually became a family man where his daughters actually could hear probably the voice of God much more clear than he could. Because he was open to the Spirit of God. God gives us opportunity. Success takes place when we take advantage of those opportunities. So as Philip began to take advantage of those opportunities, he was growing in his faith. And this was another example of it. Each day in our lives, we are coming across people. We're coming across all sorts of people, and we may think somebody else will witness to them. And one of the problems about having a big church is we always have this mindset, somebody else will do it. There's enough people here. But that is the fatal mistake sometimes of big churches. God wants us to be able to take the gospel everywhere, and every church member is to be involved in this. Look what Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles here. Not upon the ordained minister only rests the responsibility of going forth to fulfill this commission. Everyone who has received Christ. How many people have received Christ? Half of you guys? Well, the other half, we got work to do, ladies and gentlemen. How many people have received Christ? She's talking to you. Let's see what she says. Everyone who has received Christ is called to work for the salvation of his what? Fellow men. The spirit and the bride say come. That's the very last people found in the book of Revelation. And let him that hears say is come. Revelation 22 verse 17. The charge to give this invitation includes the entire what? The whole church. Everyone who has heard the invitation is to echo the message from hill and valley saying what? Come. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all responsible for the great work of taking the gospel to the world. Amen? You know, I had another very interesting providential experience. You know, as I say to you, when I, when I was giving up, making up this sermon, A Day in the Life of Pastor Anel, I was talking about providences in the video. And that when you give God the whole day you begin to notice more and more the ways that he are working. And as I said before, what seems just to be ordinary could turn out to be extraordinary if you are mindful of what God is saying. I've seen many people pass up the most powerful opportunities where God was wanting to work. 
You know, I get emails each and every day. In these emails, people always ask me Bible questions, and I'll say, okay, I'll give an answer. But there was one individual who emailed me. And something began to tell me, don't give up on this person. I'm going to share with you the email conversation. I actually got permission. Here's the email conversation. This was the email I got. Good morning, Pastor Nell. How are you? I'm a born-again Christian who is searching for truth. In my recent search, God revealed to some something, that's how it was, that has devastated me. I never knew the crucial definition of sin, that how sin is the transgression of the law and how the law is the actual Ten Commandments. After doing my personal research, I have come to realize throughout the entire Bible, it is always referring to the Ten Commandments. I see it so clearly. I am guilty of the sin that being a Christian for so long, I have never once kept my what? Sabbath. I'd like to know more. In Christ, then. This is how I responded. Yes, where are you coming from? What church do you attend? Very abrupt, right? His response. Hi, pastor. I currently am attending a Pentecostal church here in Modesto. Vin, how'd you find out about me? Have we met? You know, I'm always worried in case someone's like trying to kill me online, so. (laughs) It would surprise you what I could tell you. So, How did you find out about me? Have we met? His response was this. No, sir, I've looked up your website. God uses our website, amen? It has your email there, too. We need to erase that email, by the way. It has your email there. Pastor Nell, I would like to know more about your church, please. This is a big step. I'm trekking against the grain. So I want to be really sure. I pray that you don't mind, please. Now, I've done enough of this where I recognize unless I get into a one-on-one Bible study with that person, this is just mere intellect being satisfied. So my goal is, I, I got to get this person in this church. I've got to sit down and actually have a Bible study. So I want you to watch the conversation. I start being a little bit pushy. Okay? It's the internet. Sure, we can meet and I can share some things. Watch his response. I have many questions. He actually sidesteps it. I always thought my church or denomination was the most upright or Bible-based. However, as I grew in my faith, I became more more of a truth seeker. Rather than just sitting on the pew and believe whatever is being preached, I have come to find out many flaws and what I thought was biblical. Came to be was mere traditions of men. Easter, Christmas, Sunday worship. Now I'm not saying that the intent was wrong, but everything was simply based off tradition. No scriptural significance, but I tolerate it. What really pushed me to the edge was Seventh-day Sabbath. Apart from God's Ten Commandments, do you observe or keep anything that I'm may not found in the Bible. Thanks in his service, Vin. Now, here's a very interesting situation or pit hole Seventh-day Adventists get into. Oftentimes, in communicating, we can over-communicate. Are you listening? Now, there is potential in this conversation for me to get off on tangents and talk about all sorts of things. Oh, I'll talk about the Jesuits, the Illuminati, the conspiracy theories, all these things. But I know none of that edifies. So what I do is I begin to get stick right to what the main topic is. Now watch what I say here. Well, all tradition is not the problem. It's only when it conflicts with the commandments of God. Mark 7, verse 9. You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. For example, the making of Sunday holy when the Ten Commandments state clearly, remember the Sabbath day, is a violation of the law, hence sin. There are other deceptions as well God wants us to be aware of. I was born and raised a Hindu, but I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I have not found a church that more clearly follows the Bible than the SDA church. It is balanced, Bible-based, and Christ-centered. I think God is leading you, but I would like to what? Meet. I'm trying to get... 
conversation with this guy. You have questions, I can share what I know. You decide if it's Bible-based, right? He sidesteps it again. This is his response. Thanks, Anel, I'll keep in touch. We'll post more soon. I began to realize, I said, I need to start praying more for this guy. This is like, something's happening here. So I began to pray. He emails, I email him again. Now you know the truth. God wants you to follow it. Okay, you should come to church this Sabbath and see for yourself. Just like the Spirit of the Bride said, just come on out and check it out. And so that's what I say. He sidesteps it again. Hi, my friend. I just hope you don't mind such frequent questions. Some may sound ridiculous. I apologize. Do you guys also keep any other feasts, such as the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Trumpets, and so on? And other Sabbaths you keep? Do you believe in the Trinity? What am I supposed to do on Sabbath? Who was Ellen G. White? <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I should have said, I don't know any Alan G. Whites, actually. I know the Alan Hinkleman. Is that who you're talking about? He's a great deacon in our church. <laughs> Anil, do please bear with me as I am searching for the right church. I don't want to end up in a church that has some unbiblical belief system, such as the LDS or Mormons, LOL, in Christ's vim. So this is what I respond. No, we don't keep the feast days. The Mosaic law was done away with at the cross. The Ten Commandments were not. The Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Well, one, you should worship on the Sabbath as Jesus did. If you follow Christ, then do as Christ. He went to the place of worship on Sabbath. Here's the thing. I think we should meet. (laughs) I got to get this guy in the same place. I got to have this uh, fellowship. I got to overtake this, right? I got to become real friends. Not this distant, uh, you know, text messaging or email. I think we should meet. You can find out whether or not the church has unbiblical beliefs by doing Bible studies. I can give you something, and you can do it. I know I sound like a broken record, but if you are really searching, I I threw this out, why are you afraid to meet? There's no pressure. Emails is not the same as studying the Bible. We can meet for 30 minutes at the church, and I can give you some material. And and that was it. And you know what took place? We finally set up an appointment. Next email, we set up an appointment. Let me tell you something. Him and his wife were both baptized in our church. Amen? Glory to God, right? Now, he got another job shortly after that, and he's in Washington. And one of the great signs, I really believe, of someone growing in their faith is when they transfer church membership to a church that. You want to know why? Because it's showing they're getting involved. And I actually ran into some of his church members when I was at Washington camp meeting, even at GYC. They said, Ben has been doing ministry here at the church. We love his family. And I just praise God because here's the thing. What seemed like just an ordinary email of someone inquiring turned into something else. You see what I'm trying to say? If our hearts are open to the Spirit of God each and every day, what seems like just ordinary events can turn into mighty providence where somebody can be saved for all of eternity. All of eternity, God is calling us to take the next step of reaching out to people. God is calling each and every one of us to be open to what the Spirit of God is. Carlos, can you come up to the front? There's only one other person in this church who has more crazier hair than me. Carlos. Carlos, come up to the front. Okay, you guys all know Carlos? Do you all love Carlos? I love Carlos. Come up to the front. They're clapping because you had courage to come out to the front. Now, I promised Carlos I would not make him talk up here. 
but I did not promise him you would make him, wouldn't make him talk. <laughs> Here's the thing. It happened just like this. An ordinary Thanksgiving meal, I was coming back from Nate and Flora's house. They invited me over to Thanksgiving. I was coming back in the afternoon. Nobody was out. And as I was driving down Mitchell, I stopped. When I pulled up to the light, I looked to the right, and there was a man who was going to that Catholic church. Nobody was in that Catholic church. I saw him. You know what he did? He walked around and began knocking on the door. And nobody was there. And I felt this impression, go pull over and go talk to him. And I fought it. <laughs> I fought it. I was like, no, it's about to turn green light. And for some reason, it was like the red light just delayed itself. And I was just there. And I see him knocking on the door, and i just like, ugh. No offense what happened, you know. And so I turned into the parking lot, okay? And he was coming back to his car, and I started walking up to him. I always try to be careful how I walk up to people. I mean, look at Carlos, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was the same way when I came into the church. It's okay. I came up, and we just started walking. I started walking up to him, and we started talking. And you know what he had done? He had gone to the church to get some prayer. And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and we, I said, we can pray. So we prayed, and then afterwards I gave him some glow, and I said, hey, if you're ever interested in coming to church or getting Bible studies, let me know. He came to church that very first Sabbath. Literally, it was like two or three days later, he came to church the first time. I don't know if you guys remember when he showed up in church, he was right there in the corner. I even introduced him in front of everybody. He got Bible studies, got baptized, amen? And he is witnessing for Jesus. Uh, Carlos, do you want to say anything? Okay. And it's exciting to see him grow in his walk with God. But here's the thing. If I, my heart wasn't just open to the Spirit of God at that very moment, I fought it, okay? I fought it. I'm not sure if Carlos would be here. How much is a soul worth to us? You know, a lot of people, when they tell me, hey, I've been impressed by God to do this, I usually put up walls. You want to know why? Because if it's coming out in a very negative way, I just, mm, I don't buy that. I see inconsistencies with the way that God works. But if I see people say, I've been impressed to witness to that person, I'm more likely to buy that. You want to know why? Because I know that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lays it upon people's hearts to do evangelism. God is calling us to go the next step. There is a lot of people who need to know about Jesus. We are in some prime time right now, and God is calling us to be open to providence, open to what the Spirit of God is saying, the still, sweet voice, calling us to connect with people. You can sit down if you want. So, but God is calling us to do these things, and if we don't take advantage of these things, we're going to miss opportunities to grow for ourselves, but to lead other people to Jesus. I love what she says right here. This is so powerful. New territories are to be worked by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. New what? Territories. New churches must be established. New congregations organized. At this time, there should be representatives of present truth in just series. Is that what it says? In every what? In every city and in the remote parts of the earth. The whole earth is to be illuminated with the glory of God's truth. The light is to shine to all lands and all what? People. And it is from those who have received the light that it is to shine forth. The day star has risen upon us, and we are to flash its light upon the pathway of those in what? Darkness. God has called us to be lights in this dark world, right? You know, I shared with my young adult group last night that what light is, it's essentially environment. 
You know, when you come across something, you are, in a sense, environment to those people. If you were to take a plant and you were to place that plant in a dark room, what would happen to that plant? What would happen to that plant? It would die. If you were to take that plant and place it in a place where there's plenty of sunlight, what would happen? It would grow. If you wanted to clean your sleeping bag, what do you do? You put it outside in the sunlight because the sunlight what? Kills the bacteria. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, what he was saying is, you are to be good environment to people. And as you are good environment, you know what starts happening to that person? Spiritual growth. And that's what witnessing is all about. You are to be environment. When you take the gospel to somebody, you are being environment, and a good environment helps them to what? To grow. Negative and bad environment causes people to die. And mark my words right here. Seventh-day Adventists not consecrated by, by the Holy Spirit can be a greater curse in this world than anything. You hear what I'm saying? And we need to understand that. There's a heavy responsibility that rests upon us. But think of it with this perspective. God has called me to be good environment to people. I've been challenged recently to start investing more in people's lives. Going out of the way, trying to be a better witness, actually investing even my time, my money, and resources to see people grow, to become closer to Jesus. That's becoming more and more of my desire. And I believe God wants that to be all our desires. That we would be healthy environment for people, light of the world. Jesus said, don't strive to make your light shine. He tells us, just simply remove those things that are hindering the light from shining. And when you let Jesus, the light of the world, in your life, ladies and gentlemen, those things that hinder that light become removed. You become healthy environment. And as you go around people, all of a sudden, they just say to you, I feel blessed. I asked my young adults yesterday, I said, what kind of people in this church are a healthy environment to you? And you know what they stated to me? They said this. Nate and Flora Willis. They said Jay and Deanna Cook. Barb and Ed. And they listed off so many names and I thought to myself, I wonder what these things have in common. And you know what I began to see? A group of mature, loving Christians who represent Christ in their relationships. And that's why these young adults just love being around them. Because they're experiencing growth in their presence. Jesus is calling you to be environment. Amen? He's calling you to pay attention to providence. Keeping your eyes open to what may seem at first ordinary, but in fact may be extraordinary. Amen? These are the times that God is calling us right now to carry out his desire, his will to this world. We have a bunch of stuff that's taking place. Don't let it waste away. Don't let these times waste away. If you're saying, well, one day God's going to give you an opportunity, today God is giving you an opportunity. Today God is giving you an opportunity. Today. Today. Even the Sabbath, we have outreach taking place. God is giving you an opportunity to be good environment to people. And by the way, it might surprise you, you doing outreach may be God's environment to you to grow. Don't miss these opportunities. And like Philip, 
you'll begin to see the change more and more as you take advantage of every opportunity he is providing in your life, even as inconvenient as it may be. How many people, by the raising of their hand, say, I want to listen to the Spirit of God, and I want to be like Philip? Raise your hand if that's you. God sees those hands, and he's going to answer that prayer. Amen? Amen. By the way, I really appreciate our head deacon joining our FM 101 class to me. That has been such an example of our leadership who wants to learn more about how to share the Bible with people. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you. God, this is a Sabbath. We may have plans already taking place, but God, right now, we just want to pause and surrender those plans to you. And whatever providence you have in store for us, God, may our hearts be open to that. We pray, pray, Jesus, that your will would be done. God, the faith of Christ, the life of Christ you've given to us is an exciting life, God. Help us not to hide this light to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.